0: Some of you may know this about me, some of you don't. Uh, I grew up in Catholic church. I grew up in Catholic school. Uh, I went to a private Catholic school, Catholic church my whole life growing up. And, and part of that was this thing called confirmation that happens in eighth grade. And there's like this big process, right? And there was a retreat for it. And so it's this church retreat uh, talking about confirmation in eighth grade. And I'm, I'm in my house, and it's like an all-day thing. And so my mom tells me as I'm going out the door, like moms do, right, they just like tell you all these things they need to tell you right before you leave, and they're, and they're talking at you. Have you ever been talked at by your parents? They don't really feel like you're talked to, you know? Uh, and I, my mom, said, my mom said, like, you need to put tennis shoes on. And I was like, Mom, this is a church retreat. Why do I have to put tennis shoes on? I was wearing sandals or you might call them slides, I think. Uh, yeah, I wore slides in the 8th grade, OK? Uh, with socks that day. Uh, it's a bold choice for some people. So slides with socks as I'm walking out the door. And my mom says, you need to put tennis shoes on. I was like, mom, I don't need to put tennis shoes on. This is like church retreat. We're going to be doing church, churchy things, you know? And who cares? Like, I just need, I'm just going to wear this. And it was like this fight, right? Especially in the 8th grade era, I had a lot of attitude. Uh, a lot of stuff was going on my body and I didn't understand it, you know? And so it just makes you emotional and makes you angry at one moment and really happy the next. Anyway, so I yelled at my mom I was like, don't tell me what to do, woman! Probably didn't say woman. Uh, But I was like, I'm I'm fine and I left. And one of those things where you're just like, ugh, I wish you'd just get off my case. I know most of you have probably never been there. And so we're at this retreat and we get free time. And there's a basketball gym at this place, little did I know. And so free time, basketball gym, a bunch of eighth grade guys, so we decided to play basketball, right? So I found a basketball, and we started playing. And I took off my sandals and decided to play in my socks. Good choice. Lots of good choices. And I was going up for a layup, or it might have been a dunk. I'm pretty sure it was a layup, since I've never dunked in my life. And I was going up for a layup and I came down and I just felt like sharp, sharp pain in my foot. And it was in my big toe. And I looked down and my sock is slowly turning red. And I was like, oh my gosh, no. My very first thought was not the pain in my foot, my sock turning red. I was like, my mom was right. She warned me. She said, wear tennis shoes, wear tennis shoes. like, Mom, I got this. I'm an eighth grader. I'm a man. I know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna go to a church retreat and do church things. And I look at my sock turning red, and that's the thought that's going through my mind. And then, you know, pain hits, and I go to the bathroom. And I was like, I'll just wrap paper towels around it. It'll be good. Uh, that was my solution. Uh, it was bleeding profusely, I believe is the word that the lady that called my mom said. Uh, And I literally tried to wrap it in paper towels and then put my sock back over it. Put my foot back in my slides and just like limp it off, you know, for the rest of the retreat. And then one of the people that was in charge was like, you gotta, like, you gotta call somebody about that. You can't just be walking around with a bloody foot. And I was like, why not? I'm good. I just wanted to hide it from my mom because she was right. Everything that she warned me about. And it was this thing that it was like, it was far worse than anything I could ever have imagined happening that day. I thought, like, I didn't, didn't even cross my mind that if I wore these, or didn't wear tennis shoes, that something like that would happen. My mom warned me and yelled at me and said, put tennis shoes on. And I was like, no, I got this. And I didn't have it. And I went to the hospital. Uh, they had to do surgery on my big toe. They had to put a pin in it that was yay long because my feet weren't done growing and so he was afraid like if they didn't set this thing then I was gonna have really messed up feet and like a short toe or something like that you know (laughs) which would have been funny I don't have a short toe Uh, so they put this pin in my my big toe and I have to walk around in this special shoe that's open at the front and there's like a little plastic ball sticking out out of the end of my toe uh, for a month and so like that stuff, that's like hitting things sometimes and it hurts like crazy and it was basketball season and I missed my final game of 8th grade basketball and it was really sad to me because I actually played a lot at that point in my life because I was on the B team of the 8th grade team and I was like one of the best on the B team so that was like my time to shine <laughs> and then when I got to high school I didn't ever really play much and so uh, that was my chance, you know, and, and I blew it. And I just had to watch the last game where I could have been like the hero in that game. So point being, there were lots of consequences for me not listening to my mother's warning. And so tonight we will be talking about consequences uh, when we don't listen to what God has to say. And, and so we talked last week, again, we're going through this semester, going through all of Scripture and the whole story of scripture, and how Jesus is, from the beginning to the end, a part of it, and so last week we were talking about how everything that was made perfect, and how Jesus was there when he made everything, and he's a part of that, he's the one that, as in John says, he was at the beginning, he was nothing that was made, uh, everything that was made was made through him, and he's the one that holds it all together. And so that's how Jesus ties into all of that, and, and we talked about our value in God, Our purpose comes from God. And so all of Genesis 1, all of Genesis 2 is God's original design, how he made things to be, and how they were perfect. And then as we get into chapter 3 today, it it talks about how, how all of that gets broken. And that when there's rebellion, when there's sin, it results in brokenness. Like there was rebellion at my house before I left it, It resulted in brokenness, and that time was like literal brokenness of my toe, right? Uh, But whenever there's rebellion against God, there's going to be brokenness. And so we have to read a little bit of chapter 2 first. Chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, uh, because it has to deal with the context of chapter 3. It says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So they get everything. They have everything for them, right? It's a perfect place, everything for them, and the one deal that God says is don't touch this one tree, just don't eat from that and you'll be good. Otherwise, if you do, you'll die. So Kyle addressed this really well a few weeks ago, and he said, like, why did, why did God put the tree there? And the really quick answer for that is that why, why give us a choice is because this is a, how Kyle put it, this is a love story, and every love story involves a person freely committing themselves to another. And so he used the example that I thought was really good. Uh, that it, t- think about it this way. If you're going to ask somebody, asking somebody to marry you, like, will you marry me? Will you love me for the rest of your life? Versus going up to them and me saying to Lauren, you will marry me. And like shoving a ring at her, right? That's, it's a little bit different. It's, it's forceful, like that's not love when I try to force somebody into that. And so it's not love if God tried to force us into committing to him. And so he gives us a choice. And that this tree represents that choice. So chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Again, sin, or, sin is just, think about it this way. Sin is not just bad things, okay? I think we get that messed up sometimes. Sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is rebellion against God. Anything where you rebel against God, it's not just doing bad stuff, it's rebelling against God. It's picking yourself up over God and what he has for you. So when sin, when rebellion against God enters this perfect world that God created, that's what chapter three is about. What I want you to know tonight is that sin is the source, sin is the root of all of our problems. Of every problem that you have, of every problem that I have, of every broken relationship that you have, of you that are struggling with getting drunk every weekend and smoking weed, Sin is, the, is the, the core of that problem. Of you that have parents that are, are, have a broken marriage, sin is the source of that problem. Of you that have parents or somebody that's sick, that has cancer, sin is the source of that problem. Sin is the root of all of the problems of the world. Every single one. You have to know that. And so this is applicable to all of us because the source of any problem that I have, the source of any problem that you have, starts here in Genesis chapter 3. This is where it comes from. It says the serpent. Again, this is Satan. This is a uh, uh, quick, quick backstory of Satan if you don't know. He's a former angel that was. This all happened before man was created, but he was a former former angel that rebelled against God. Uh, he was one of the best of all the angels, and then he decided God was holding out on him and he wanted to be God and he was sick of being second to him and he decided he was going to rebel against him and he did and he had other angels that came on his side and then there's a war in heaven and then they all get thrown down to earth. Quick quick synopsis of that, right? Uh, And Satan is thrown down to the earth where God is letting him rule right now. There are many spots in scripture that says Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, the god of this world even. And so Satan is control in control for a time of this world, and that is right now. Uh, Other things that we know about Satan from Scripture. He's the father of lies. It says that there is no truth in him. He's the devil, is another name for him. Our adversary. Scripture says, 1 Peter says he prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. He's an enemy. And again, think about that scene that's painted. There's there's a reason that's illustrated that way. He's likened to a lion that is seeking to and prowling around to devour you. If you've ever seen any kind of uh, nature show, right, where you see lions, they are not only are they predators, not only are they super powerful, not only do they want to destroy their prey, they're also incredibly sneaky. And they have to sneak up on their prey because their prey is so fast. And so think through that whole illustration. Satan wants to destroy you, and he wants to do it in a really sneaky way where he can pounce on you and kill you. He hates you. Every single one of you, he hates you. It's not some little thing where he's like trying to get you tripped up into looking at something you're not supposed to look at. He's trying to get you to get drunk this weekend. He wants to destroy your life. And if you don't believe that, if you don't know that, then you already are behind in fighting against him. He wants to destroy you completely. He's not some cutesy little guy in a red cape with horns and a pitchfork. He wants to kill you. He wants your life to be miserable, and he wants you to feel worthless. Why? Why? Because this God that he wanted to be and couldn't be, and he knows he can't do anything to because he has no power against him, the very next best thing that he can do is attack the people that bear his image. Because he hates God, because he's bitter against God, because he wanted to be him and he couldn't, and he knows he's powerless against him, the very next best thing he, he, he decides he can do, well, I'll just attack the ones that he made in his image, and that's us. That's why he hates us, because we bear the image of God. Because you bear the image of God, the devil hates you, Jacobin. He does. He hates you, Alyssa. He hates me. And he wants to kill you. He's the father of lies. And what do do we see? The very first thing we see here in in Genesis three says that he's crafty. What does he say to the woman? He says, did God actually say? Did God actually say? So the very first thing he tries to do to Eve is he tries to get her to doubt God's word. The father of lies, what he will do, what he did in Eve's life, what he continues to do today, what he does in my life, what he does in your life, he will try to get you to doubt God's word. He will whisper in your ear, did God really say that? He will whisper in your ear, did God really say? Over and over and over. He's a liar and he wants you to doubt God's word. It was true then, it's true now. He will whisper all different kinds of things to get you to doubt God. Like did God really say, he may have said that he loves people, but he didn't really like mean you specifically. Because did God actually say that he loves you personally? Did God say that you can't really do this? God said you couldn't have sex, but is this really sex? Did God actually say you can't take part in this? Like, is it really possible for you to love and and treat everybody with respect? Of course God didn't really say that he expected that from you, right? Because that's impossible. Like, did God really say that as a man you should lead all the time and as a woman you should follow? Like, did he really say that? He will try to get you to doubt everything. He will do it really subtly like that. Did God actually say? He said, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And then the woman responds and she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. uh, But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So first off, the woman comes back with truth. So she gives him the truth. This is actually what God said and it was verbatim what God said. And so, does does Satan stop there? No, he goes further. He said, but the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. So he tries to encourage her that she's not gonna die, that God's not really gonna do that. And he he says, he gives this reasoning in verse five. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what he does and what he whispers to her and what he whispers to you is the same thing that he had going on in his own mind. And it's this, that God is holding out on you. That there are better things for you, Austin, than what God has for you, and so you should live for those things. That, that, that there are better things for you, Claire, that, that, than what God has for you, so you should pursue those things. That God really doesn't care about you all that much, Lily, and, and he just, he, he's holding out on you, so you should live for different things, because he doesn't really care that much about you. He tries to get her to, to, to believe that God is holding out on her, that there's more out there, there's better, and that God is not wanting you to do this, not because he cares about you, because he doesn't want you to be like him and he's holding out on you. When the truth of the matter is that God cares so much that he would give us an opportunity to have a choice to actually choose to love him and not force that on us, And he also cares so much that he would provide everything else in the world that they could possibly need. And just say, please just trust me and just stay away from this one thing. And so he's trying to get her to doubt the fact that she can trust God. And go to verses four, or go to, uh, well, let me add this. So he's trying to get us to believe that God is holding out on us he, he wants you to believe that God is like this, uh, this cosmic fun killer, right? That if you, he, all he wants to do is put rules on you so that you won't have any fun. Because he just wants you to follow rules and there are better things out there, but he doesn't want you to experience those things. And I think the other piece of this too is that Satan is trying to get Eve to believe this and, and us to believe this, that the design that God has is flawed and is messed up. And since his design is flawed, there's a better way. When in actuality, God's design and original purpose is always the best, always the most life-giving, always the most filling for your life. John 10.10 puts it this way, a very very strict contrast, right? That God came, that Jesus came so that we could have a life and we could have it abundantly. And that the thief, that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so Jesus came so we could have life, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's the truth. But the way that he steals, the way that he kills, the way that he destroys is by lying to us. And if you begin to believe those lies, it will steal your joy, it will kill you, it will destroy you. Again, we've talked about this before, and we talked about this especially at the beginning of Genesis, that There's one God made of three persons, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And there are two kingdoms in conflict, light versus darkness. I know I've talked about this before, but if you don't get that, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that there are two kingdoms in conflict, that there is light versus darkness, that there is God versus Satan, that there is good versus evil, and you don't believe that, then it's like being in the middle of a war-torn country in the middle of fighting, in the middle of bullets flying past your head and acting like it's like there's nothing going on and just strolling through it. That's stupid. We are in the middle of a war, good versus evil, light, light versus darkness, and that's, what's, that, that's what we're in the middle of. Two kingdoms in conflict. and We see, we see this very visibly in, in chapter three here. So Genesis 3, 6 through 7, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So what, first, Eve believes the lies of the serpent over the truth of God. So she hears these lies, hears these lies, believes them and acts upon that. And she takes the fruit and she eats it. But before any of that happened, actually, Adam ignored his role that we talked about last week. Adam's role is to lead. He was made to lead his wife. What is he, what is he doing? He's just sitting there on the side like, you can just go talk to that snake. It's cool. I'm just going to watch. Because what scripture says is that she eats and her husband's there with him, with her. She gives to him and he's like, okay, if you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. So not only does he not step up at the beginning and he doesn't lead his wife, but then when she leads, he just follows her. So Adam ignores his role as a leader and allows the serpent to step in, allows the serpent to speak lies to his wife. And then he follows his wife into sin and rebellion against God. So Adam had multiple opportunities. Adam could have just led to begin with. And if he heard the serpent speaking to his wife, stop that and get in the middle of that. But he's just standing on the side. And then when his wife does listen and, he, and she does rebel against God, he could have stood right there and said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because living for God is more important even than living for you and what you want to do. But he was like, okay, give me some. And so this, this whole chapter three kind of reminds me of, so think you have like a shiny new phone, right? Brand new whatever you like. So I know some people like the Galaxy over the iPhone, whatever. Shiny new phone, so we don't, so we don't start fights over what, what brand you like the most. Shiny new fo- phone, beautiful screen, no cover on it because you don't want to ruin how beautiful that screen is, right, am I right? You don't want to ruin that, that like, how, how nice it is to just slide your fingers across that glass. It's just beautiful, right? And then you get out of your car, because this is just what happens to me. Uh, You forgot that you put your phone in your lap and then you step out of your car and you feel like some weight come off of your lap and then you hear a crack and you're like, oh gosh. You look down and that screen is shattered, right? Shattered. Jamal, you know what I'm talking about. It's okay. Other people know too, right? Raise your hand if you ever cracked a screen on your phone like that. (laughs) Look, you're not alone in anything here. How many? T- how many of you have done it eight times? Oh my gosh! You all got some problems. We got it. Sin. Sin is the root of that too. Um. So, so the good thing is that since, since so many people have experienced that, you know that like gut wrenching feeling when it drops. And it's like slow motion. I feel like one of those times in life that's like slow motion. And you're like no, and you flip it over and you see all those all those cracks, right? This point right here when Adam and Eve take that fruit and they eat is like when that phone drops and it shatters, shatters everything. It was perfect. It was clean. It did everything it was supposed to do before. And then sin happens and it shatters it. And then what do Adam and Eve do? What do you do? They sew fig leaves on themselves. You, you like pick up your phone and you're like, if I, I just put this piece of glass right back in here, it fits just fine. I can put all these pieces in here. I mean, if I put a little bit of, like just a little bit of tape over this spot, like it's perfect, it's good, right? It's good. Where you like, you try to piece it together yourself. And it may work even, like it, it does work most of the time, but then it works, it's not very clear on the screen, obviously, so everything's kind of a little messed up but it still works, still kind of does what it's supposed to and then like a week later, something funky starts happening and it's not quite working like it's supposed to, you know, like this button doesn't work anymore. Uh, I have to hold it like this way in order to talk on it or something, you know. Uh, And it works, but it's not near what it was made to be. You follow me? So they take from the fruit from the tree, phone drops, shatters everything. And then immediately they try to pick up the pieces themselves. And they say, I got this. Like, I can make this work. It's okay. So, so verse 7, it says, the eyes of the, both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And then in verse 8, it goes on to say, and they heard the sound, and the sound of the the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So first they make clothes for themselves, because all of a sudden, if verse, at the end of chapter 2 said the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And I said, that's like, man, that's perfection. That's how life is supposed to be. And then sin happens. All of a sudden they're ashamed. Like they realize they're naked. They're like, oh gosh, we've got to cover ourselves up. And then they hear God walking, which is crazy in and of itself. Like they hear God walking. And they're like, God's coming, let's hide. And it's like when my kids hide where they do stuff like this too and they're like, you think mom's coming? You think she can see us? You're like, of course we can see you. You're like sticking out half the way, right? They're not very good at hiding. They think they're awesome too. But they hide behind things like this even. And if I'm just really still, mom's not going to get me. She's not even going to see me. She do not even know I'm here. And if I just said, hey, nobody can see me right now, so I'm just going to sit here, you all think I'm an idiot, right? Because you can see me perfectly fine. Yeah, like that, Zay, right? If I can't can't even, nobody can see me. I'm hiding. And that's the equivalent of what's going on here. And God's, I I feel like God's probably shaking his head like, oh my gosh, I made these people? Not my best work. Uh, And so they become self-conscious for the first time so think about that you've been self-conscious you know what that's like this is the first time they've ever experienced it in their life and they feel shame and immediately they try to take care of the problem themselves I can hide this I can hide myself I can hide my whole body I can run from God And maybe if he just doesn't see me then I won't have anything happen and they run and hide from their mistakes they try to cover up their mistakes first and then they try to run and hide from their mistakes And in Genesis 3, 9, this is what happens, and this is what we'll sing about tonight after I'm done. The very first time in Scripture that you see these words, but the Lord God. The one that sticks out to me the most that's like this is in Ephesians. It says we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God came in and he rescued us. So they are hiding, they are trying to fix their own mistakes, and then God steps in. And he finds them, he goes to them, he pursues them. So in our sin, and in your sin, even though you try to hide, even even though you try to cover your mistakes, God will pursue you. And it may make you scared, and you may be afraid of that, but trust me, it's a good thing. He will pursue you. He knows what you've done. You hiding your sin, and, and trying to pretend like you can hide getting drunk on the weekends, smoking weed, having sex with your girlfriend, the pain that you feel of your parents, like. Whatever it is that you want to hide and you want to stuff down, making fun of other kids, he sees it. He knows it. And he will run to you still and say, Listen, this is what I love about God. This is one of, the, one of the, my favorite parts of Scripture because of what happens next. Because you would think, especially some of, like some of you have a view of God as like, He's just a father that's ready to like, just beat me when, the, when, the, when I break the rules, right? What does He do? Does he yell at them and push their sin in front of them right away? No, he asked them a question. God called the man and he said, where are you? Like when Annabelle, our three-year-old, is hiding from us and saying, hey, and we go, where are you? Are me and Lauren idiots and we don't know where she is? No, she's trying to play along a little bit, right? Give her a little bit of confidence. Let her figure some things out. So God does the same thing. Adam and Eve are hiding, and he says, I figure the tone is more like this when I read it, where are you? (laughs) You know? And he gives them a chance to step up and own it. He's giving them a chance to step up and own their sin. He says, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the sound of the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So again, Adam starts with truth. God says, where are you? He he comes out. He said, I was afraid because I heard you coming, and I'm naked, so I hid. So he brings the truth, right? And then he goes downhill from there. God asks another question. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So it would be one thing if he just stopped at that question. Who told you you were naked? But he gets really specific, and he says, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Again, does God not know these, the answers to these questions? No, he knows the answers. So this is not for his benefit. This is for the benefit of Adam and Eve, and he's trying to do something in them. Uh, and so what is Adam's response? This is where it gets worse. God asked him that question, and this is where all the blame shifting starts, okay? He asked him that question, and he says, The woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. She did it. And you probably were that sibling or you've seen that. This happens in our house a lot. We said, who did this? What happened? And like, I didn't do it. It was her. And they all blame Cooper now because he's the youngest. You know, he can't even speak. It was Cooper. Cooper, he can move. It was him. Like, he can't, even, he can't get there. He can't reach that. Uh, he says, it's the woman, right? So Adam doesn't own up to the sin. And what's even worse, this, he doesn't just blame the woman. Who does he blame? God. He says, the woman who you gave me, God, this is who you gave me. And so he's still believing the lie from Satan that God's design is flawed. That this woman that you designed, that you created, she did it. You shouldn't have even made her. He didn't really say that, but he, he said it with his eyes, you know. Like, the woman that you gave me. So, God, you need to fix this. It's all about what you did, you know. And so what does his wife do? She was like, God, God looks at her then. So he says, the woman you gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent. It was a snake. The snake did it. So she follows her husband lead. Again, she's still following her husband. Her husband's leading stupid places, so she's following into stupid places. And she says, the serpent. It was him. I didn't do anything. He he talked me into it. He deceived me. He shouldn't have made those snakes. You know? Uh, So they both blame shift. A little side note, okay? This is is a result of sin. Trying to cover things up and not confess what's going on. Own up to your mistakes. If you want to follow Christ and look different than other people... Start with this very easy one, because you will all make mistakes, own up to your mistakes. Own up to them and own up to them quickly. Because the quicker you own up to them, no matter how ugly they are, the more you're gonna be following Christ and, and the, the more you're gonna be showing that example that, uh, that you are living for him. Own up to your mistakes. The longer you wait, the more damage that's done to yourself and to other people. Own up to where you screw up. Just do it. <laughs> Not many people, students, adults, will do this. Not many people in your life will own up to their mistakes because of sin, because we want to run and we want to hide. We will pretend like we're better than we actually are. Own up to your mistakes. So the consequences of sin, the serpent has to crawl on its belly, which I think, fun fact, well not fact, fun opinion, Uh, I think that means snakes used to have legs and they used to walk around on legs. Uh, Because part of the consequence was he has a crawl on his belly. Uh, It's cursed above all the other uh, beasts of the field and and things like that. So that's probably why people hate snakes so much. Uh, The woman, pain in childbirth and in raising them because they're crazy. And then this part, desire to rule over her husband. It says, your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. There's a couple different ways to interpret this, I think. Uh, not, that they're, not that one's fully the best, I think it involves both of them. Uh, so I think some of it is like too much identity in her husband, but I think even more than that is the desire to rule over her husband, to be the leader, and he's the one that's called to be the leader. Anybody that's married, you feel that, you feel me. Uh, the woman wants to lead. The man does not want to lead most of the time, like if we're just operating out of our flesh. Uh, men are called to lead. Women are called to follow. It doesn't mean that they don't have their own rights and their own choices. And I said this last, last week briefly, but women and men are equally valuable. We just have very different roles. And if a woman tries to play the role of a man, you will have problems. And the role of a man is to lead her, his wife and to lead their household. Lauren, if you know Lauren, Lauren has a lot of opinions. She's very opinionated. She is, she is not a weak, I don't think anybody with, would, that knows my wife would call her weak. Especially not to her face, right? Uh, but she is one of the most submissive women that you will ever meet in your life. She lets me lead. I screw up regularly, for sure. But she lets and encourages me to lead because that's my role and that's not hers, and she knows that's not her role, and she doesn't want that role, because that's not what she was created for. And that is not a slam at women, so do not believe that. That is, here's how God designed it. If you have a problem how it was designed, take it up with him, air your complaints to him, but if you live outside of that design, you're going to have problems. Uh, And sin made that even more difficult. Creation itself is also affected. There's thorns, there's thistles. Uh, there's the the creation, the land, everything everything is affected by sin. Again, like I said, disease, all those things, death. Death never happened until sin entered the world. So Adam and Eve, this is my last point. Adam and Eve, they try to cover themselves, right? They try to handle their own sin. And then I love this in verse 20, both in verse 20 and in verse 15. Verse 20 says this, the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. That's the first, first death in all of Scripture. First time they've ever even seen death. God had to kill some animals to cover Adam and Eve with the skin. So the point is, and the symbolism of that is God saying, those coverings that you made for yourself are not gonna, they're not gonna cut it that that effort you're trying to make yourself not gonna cut it I have to do it for you and 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 when I do it it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna take blood and pain there's gonna be death when I cover your sin and that's the only thing that can cover your sin your little leaves are not gonna do the job I've got to kill some animals and cover you and you know what that's pointing to Jesus In verse 15 where it says, I will put enmity, this is him talking to the snake and the woman, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's saying there's going to be fighting between Satan and all this, all the demonic versus people, the people that I created. And between all of your offspring. And he shall bruise your head. That means Jesus shall bruise or destroy your head as a serpent and you shall bruise his heel. What is that referring to? Jesus died. That's the bruising of the heel, but he was raised from the dead and he conquered death forever. And that's him crushing the head of Satan and saying, death is no more. This is pointing to the gospel. So from the very beginning when we screwed it up, God is saying, I have a plan and I have a rescue plan and Jesus is the answer. And so when you are struggling with the sin that's in your life, when you're struggling with drinking every weekend, when you're struggling with smoking weed, when you're struggling with sex, when you're struggling with your parents' divorce, when you're struggling with all the weight of all of that. He's saying, Jesus is the answer. You can't fix yourself. No matter how many times you try, you you can't fix yourself. So stop trying to put these little leaves over it and let me cover you. It's not enough to do it on your own. It's not enough to try that. Like, I understand why. Like, you want to put all those pieces back together of, of your phone and so that it would work? You need a new stinking phone. And that's what he's offering us. He's saying, "I offer you to be a new creation. You don't need to pick up these pieces and try to make it and try to make it work because you know it's broken. I'm saying I created something completely new and you can have that." And so let me give that to you, but you have to let me. And so that's why it breaks my heart to see and to know so many people in this room that struggle with the same thing over and over and over. Because it doesn't have to be that way. Sin broke everything, and it's a broken mess. But the answer is not you trying harder, and you doing better, and you making better choices. The answer is Jesus Christ. All the time, every time. That's the only hope that you have to fix your brokenness to fix anybody's brokenness. Before sin, there was a perfect world. They had everything that they could ever want. There was a perfect community with God. Everybody did the role that they were supposed to do. Work was good and easy. They were naked and unashamed. They were fully known and they were fully loved. And then the lives of Satan came in. Did God really say, can't... Can God really be trusted? God's design is flawed. He's holding out on you. He's not for you. And then people believe that. And then they rebel against God because they believe those lies. And when you rebel against God, then you get a broken world. Work is harder. We have to really work to get what we need and we have to sweat because of that and we have to fight. Relationships are harder. They're broken. Relationship with God is broken. Work is difficult. We have to wear clothes. We have to hide ourselves and be afraid of being fully exposed. We, have to, we don't feel fully known and we don't feel fully loved. Everything is a shadow of what it was meant to be. And what, what, That's what happened when sin came in. But the rest of scripture, the rest of this book, is God fixing, God rescuing, God restoring his people to how he made them. And making all things new and putting all of his people and all of his creation back to his original design. After Genesis 3, that's what all of the Bible is about. And we're going to go through that the rest of the semester. But just remember, sin is the problem, Jesus is the answer, Always.